What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Backstage Ballers. This is episode four, and I am extremely, extremely excited for this one because I'm joined by Tyreek Duran, a LaSalle basketball alum. He was their starting point guard and played from 2010 to 2014 and has been playing professional basketball for over six years now. Tyreek, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? Appreciate you for having me on the show. Looking forward to actually talking about, you know, all the um, all the college experiences and overseas, man. First time right. on the podcast. Awesome. So we, we got a lot to cover now. So but, but before we get into the questions, I have some quick background. Uh, I figured I should share. My family's had LaSalle season tickets for years now, and we would always go to watch every, you know, every, watch every game. And uh, I was actually going to go watch their Bucknell game today at one o'clock. I think they're playing uh, Bucknell. Um, but I want to I start a little bit with the 2013 LaSalle team. There was something really special about that team that, that we'll get into. Uh, so let's jump right in. We're kind of going to move chronologically with these questions, starting with your college experience and then moving on into your pro basketball experience. Sound good? Yeah, perfect. Awesome. So let's start off. Uh, can you describe the feeling playing in the March in the March Madness tournament? Many of the games you were in were really, really close games. So what was it like in the final minute or two of those games? Would you think to yourself, like, this is it or something wild is going to happen? Like, what was that feeling? Um, to me, I, I tell people to this day, it was actually, like, kind of surreal. Like, even, like, the first two games, like, Boise, uh, Boise State and Kansas State, like, I really couldn't even gather my breath, like, on the court to, uh, like, indulge in a moment. Like, it was, to me, it was just so surreal. Like just actually being on the, on the court for a March Madness game, like you know, you growing up, that's something that you just watch on TV. And, you know, you see all the crazy games. How everybody says the craziest things happen in March in a um, tournament. You see all the upsets, and to actually be a right. part of that, it actually upset a few teams and make it pass where everybody thought you were going to go. Oh, yeah. it like it was like surreal. So I mean, for me, like I said, it was, in basketball wise, I think that was one of the best basketball experiences I had in my life, like to this day, like nothing compares to that. Plus you guys got some extra, ex, some uh, extra playing experience there. Cause you guys were the playing game that year. You played Boise state in the playing game. So you guys got a uh, more playing than most of the other teams that made it to the sweet 16. Yeah. We ended up having an extra game. Like I said, I, and I didn't even, I actually didn't even know that until like a couple of minutes before tip ball. I thought we were in the tournament. Like I, I never heard of a playing game before that. So when my, my one of really? my assistant coaches, yeah, one of my assistant coaches was actually explaining it to me. I'm like, so wait, so we're not actually a part of the tournament yet. Like we have to, we still gotta like win our way into the. Uh, I forget how many teams it was back. It was the 64. I'm like, we still have to win our uh, way. Yeah. In. Right. Yeah, he, he's like, yeah, you know, you win this game, you go on to such and such. If you lose, you go back home. So I think that kind of actually added uh uh more fuel to the fire for us and that wanted us to even come out and win uh even more because we pretty much took took care of Boise State. Like it wasn't even it wasn't really a tough game. Right, right. I remember watching that. I was relieved. <laughs> so were we all so it it was the it was the third game for you guys, but this but really the second round in the tournament and you guys were playing Ole Miss. And they had a player, I think his name was Zach Henderson, who was known to just be like a knockdown three-point shooter. Um, you know, nothing against him, but almost annoying to watch. And that, you know, James Harden like making contested threes with, you know, four people in his face. So the game's a close one. I believe the score was 72 to 74. You guys were down by two points. And you go to the line with a minute and seven seconds left on the clock. What's going through your mind before you take those two free throws? 
Um, it's just one of those gut wrenching moments. It's like you know, that's the it's one of those moments that you look forward to. Like I say, as much man as you see this type of stuff all the time on TV, you never really think that you're going to be a part of it. So it's like to actually be in that moment where it's like, all right, I got to make these five shots, or else we might not win this game. We might not advance. And, you know, you never know what can happen after that. So it's just another one of those moments that you know every basketball player lives for, and. You just want to be on the good side of it. And fortunately for me and for my team, we were, we were on the good side of a lot of things during that, that game. Right. And I mean, I mean, watching that, I, I was like, I remember specifically like biting my nails. We, we got a nice, uh, that was that, was that the game where uh, Garland hit the, the buzzer beat layup? Yeah, that was when he hit the, the famous Southwest fully float at the end of the game. <laughs> right. That was, that gave me the chills. Oh my God! Just going back to that moment was was ridiculous. So, um, for those who don't know, which I'm sure is a majority of you guys listening, uh, the thing that was really special about that 2013 LaSalle basketball team was that they ran a four guard offense uh, and defense. You know, they ran a four four guard lineup. I guess is the better term for it. Uh, so what was it like being a part of uh, a lineup, knowing that the, you know there were three other guys that were relatively undersized compared to some bigger opponents. Was it difficult on the defensive side of the ball? What, what were your experiences with that? Um, to me, it wasn't, I'm not going to say it was uh, difficult, like especially defensively, because I mean, you know, that's when you, when you have a game plan, that's kind of what you're prepared for. Like you prepare for all of the mismatches or all the advantages that you can take on the opponent as far as, you know, being undersized and everything. So for us, we didn't really look at it as being as it being a mismatch on our side because we knew that we were faster than everybody. Like from position right. position one through four, we were faster than everybody. So it's like you're gonna have to so beat us in some way that they're not comfortable with. And a lot of teams couldn't do that. Right. So I guess a better way of looking at it is instead of it being a matchup problem for you guys, it was a matchup problem for the other team. Yeah, because I mean if you look even at the even in the Kansas State game, they had they had most of their players were six foot and up. And I think they had right. that center. That center was like seven foot, but he wasn't even on offense. He wasn't even a problem for us. Like he basically wasn't. That was uh, Hendricks, I think his last name Hendricks or something. Yeah, I, I can't remember his name. I know he was left handed He's pretty tall. I ended up seeing him again. I forget where I, uh, where I saw him again at. But like I said, he was almost seven foot. So I mean, more, it was more so advantage for them on defense. I mean, he did get a lot. He blocked my shot a lot of times that game. I remember that. But as far as like right. offense, where everybody everybody thinks, oh, they're undersized, you know, take advantage, go post them up. Like it might sound easy, but it's it's a lot harder when you get on the court because you know we people are trying to feed into the post, but we were coming with a double team most times. Sometimes we weren't double teaming, so it's like we were so fast that you had to react to so much, so many different things that we were throwing, like so many different tactics that we were going to throw at you, and you can't you can't really prepare for that. It's something that you just got to witness during the game and kind of make adjustments as the game goes on. I, that's why I give Coach D a lot of credit at because I think playing with four guards, you take a big risk at doing that. Right. And you got to really – Jarrell bodied, bodied him with that left elbow late game and he made his free throws too. Yeah, and, and like I said, that's, that's, that's another thing. Like we had Jarrell at the center, so with him banging down low, a lot of times it took that center out of it because, you know, that that's a lot of energy at the center is uh, – exhorting anyway so you know they like i said they couldn't really take advantage we never really faced anybody where they killed us with that center like not that i can remember off the top of my head like, we never really faced a dominant center that we just 
had no answers for. I right. think maybe the Wichita State game. I think one of their big men started going crazy, but I might right. need it. So, do you still keep in touch with your college teammates? A lot of those guys. Uh, for the most part, I talked to all of them. I know I talked to I talked to Tyrone the most, you know, because we we knew each other before LaSalle. and uh, like I said, I was a, we, like that friendship that we had was a big reason of him going there. I actually tried to get him to come to LaSalle the year before, but he said he wanted to stick it out at Duke Tech. And um, Ramon, I talked to him every once in a while, just to, you know, we're both overseas, uh, just to check on check in on each other, see how right. each other was going. I talked to Jarrell periodically. Like, I actually just talked to Jarrell probably like three days ago. He's over in France right now. I just really? talked to Stan not too long ago. DJ, I, I, Steve Zach, I just talked to him two days ago. So, yeah, for, for the most part, I pretty much uh, keep in contact with everybody. You know, it's just it's good to see what everybody's doing after college. A lot of people are still playing. Some are. I've seen Rohan at the LaSalle game the day before I left. He's got a big was, was, DJ, was DJ on that team? DJ Peterson, yeah, he was on the uh, on yeah. the Street 16 team. He was he was actually another right. big part. He was our four man, and he's right. Side, but he was a very big part. He's a uh, four man that could step out and shoot. So he brought the other team's four men out of the paint, which allowed our three other three guards to drive a lot. So, like I said, I mean, I, I get excited talking about it, man. It's, it's like one of the best times of my life, honestly, right. from basketball. I can't even imagine just the thrill running, you know. Last few seconds, that shot that Southwest Philly floater goes in. You must have been going wild. I can't even imagine the feeling, but you know, yeah, you still probably feel anything back to wild. Uh, so quick, quick transition now into your professional career. Um, before we get into like the style, the style of play overseas, and you know, into the nitty gritty of how that basketball works, uh, can you just describe a little bit, a little bit about the locker room presence, how it's like what it's like kind of playing with players from such diverse backgrounds might not all speak the same language. Um, I mean, the locker room is pretty much like everybody else's locker room. Like you said, with the, a lot of times it's just the language barriers. So, you know, a lot of times it's a lot of joking going on. You know, some people might not understand the Amer- what the Americans are saying, or we might not right. understand what the Greek players are, are saying. So it's, it's always, it's all funny games though. You know, every locker room, I think every, uh, sports locker room is like that, you know, because you got to find time away from the court to, you know, laugh, joke, and play around with each other, you know, just to take your mind off right. the basketball for a little bit. So, I mean, it's Does not, the coach speak? Does the coach speak English? Yeah, our coach speaks English. The coach that I have now actually coached me two years ago when I was in Cyprus. I actually won a won a championship under him in Cyprus, and he was also a big reason on why I ended up joining this team. He's probably the main reason why I joined this team because I. I actually this year I didn't plan on leaving until January. I wanted to, um, excuse me, I wanted to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas home with my family. So right. that was my that was my goal. But then my agent ended up calling me like, "Yeah, your old coach is very interested in bringing you in to stand in there." And I was like, you know, got kind of excited about it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually I like playing for him. So I, like I said, I was very excited to get back out here, uh, right again. So it's going good so far too. Awesome. I'm I'm very glad to hear that. So what would you say are some of the big differences between the American and European style of play? Is there a difference in terms of like play style playbook or is it more physicality? Um, I think it's it's kind of a combination of both. I know the first thing I realized in Europe are they I wouldn't even say they're more they're a lot more physical. They're just a lot slower than us. So it's like they gotta kinda like <laughs> Like body right. up and be 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 more physical because they can't really keep up 
like laterally. They're not running four guards. Yeah, that, that, that too. So, like I said, they're, uh, I, I say they, they, they tend to get more physical. And as far as like coaching and stuff, I, I think the European style of uh, basketball, Europeans are more tactical. Like they don't, they don't look forward to, they don't look towards more talent. They look at, they look at how, how are we going to score? Right? Yeah, like how are we going to score with our play? Like, you know, get a backdoor, right. do this, like run, run our plays. Like a lot of teams are like that. And then your skill comes second. Whereas like the NBA, it's just like, like you see now, it's like a lot of ISO or everybody can go one-on-one. And every once in a while, you might see a great play run. But for the most part in Europe, that's how it is. Like, I'd say right. 85% of the time. Do you ever hear like, do you ever hear like trash talk, you know, from another team that you might not understand because it's not English or someone yelling at you that's you just don't understand? Oh, man, that happens the whole game, honestly. Between between <laughs> the other team and the crowd, like I've, I've been in places in Cyprus where they – the crowd is start throwing firecrackers on the floor, like M80 bombs okay. on the floor, batteries, yelling all types of stuff. I've seen the crowd spit on players. Like that's one thing that's overseas that you won't find in America. Like there's no boundaries right. for the crowd. Like they they'll do say whatever they want, and it, it'll be a bunch of security guards up there, but they're not doing anything. So you're just looking at them like, hey, what are you even here for? If you're not going to help, it's, it's, right? The free for all out there. Yeah, it's crazy, man. That's that's probably the worst part about being overseas is the crowd. I mean, it doesn't bother me because I don't understand what they're saying. But when they start throwing stuff on the floor and it's just like you're not protected, that's when it gets like out of hand. Got it. Uh, so we got one more question before our final question, which just uh, talk, talks about advice. Uh, but before that one, I just want to know: Is there anything you've taken away from your international? Uh, pro basketball experience, anything you feel like you've been able to add to your game to improve your, your basketball game uh, that you might not think you would have gained otherwise playing in America? Um, Not really, because I, I look at it as basketball is just, it's basketball. Like, it's not going to change. Like, like I said, over here, they might be more uh, focused on tactics, but at the end of the day, you're a basketball player. You know how to adjust. You know what you got. Yeah, you're your own player. Yeah, so it's like, the one thing I improved on my game since I've been overseas is shooting, though, which, like I said, I, I needed to, in my eyes, I needed to do that regardless if I was playing here or in America. So I don't right. think it's, okay. I don't think you necessarily have to change your game for a European country, but you just gotta got to do your game, period. Right. And, uh, you know, as long as you master whatever you decide to be good at or, you know, you're good at your own thing, then, you know, there'll be a use for you regardless of where you're playing. I like that. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, it, it actually it come down a lot to your coach too. Like, what kind of coach you get? Because I've seen people that can honestly do it all on the basketball court, but if you're not under the right coach, that'll ruin your whole career. And I've seen people that were probably like all Americans back home and can't even find a job right now. So Europe, Europe is crazy, man. It's not what everybody thinks. Everybody thinks it's all good. It's, it's really a hard place to uh, be successful at. Right. How, how's the food? Uh, the food's great. That's the one part that I don't like. Uh, you know, I always find good food. I always find, uh, like, a traditional place to eat at, whatever, depending on what country I'm in. Like, I always try to see what's the traditional food for that area or for that country, and I make sure right. that I try the different stuff. So, the food, that's never a problem. I'm a greedy person, so I don't really – I'm not really too picky with the food, man. <laughs> that, that's good. I feel like that's important, like, ex, ex, you know, expanding your palate, especially, when, you know, if you're international, trying a bunch of different food from different places. Uh, you expose yourself to a bunch of it. That's kind of cool. 
So we're going to wrap it up with one final question. Uh, and I, ra- I like to wrap up all my episodes, regardless of who's guesting uh, or you know, what we're talking about, with just a question that can provide advice for pe- people listening. Is there any advice you have for aspiring athletes and people that see playing basketball as being part of their future? Um, I say just follow your dream. You know, don't don't really let anybody derail you to where you think you can go. Like you're only gonna go as far as you think you can go. And I tell them the same thing that everybody else is probably telling them, like just make sure you have a backup plan just in case basketball doesn't go as planned. Because there's a lot of people that are talented that have the uh the skill set to go far but like you know life is crazy anything can happen to whereas you don't end right. up playing professional basketball and you end up taking a completely different road like i said i know people that were all americans that don't have no job right now i know people that were uh mcdonald's all americans that didn't even make it through college that don't even play anymore no. so like it's, i don't know life is just crazy like that you just never know where you're going to end up and you know it you might be a basketball player in high school, but that might not be where your life is going to be 10 years later. So, Exactly. So I feel like a lot of it's just being ambitious. You have to have that goal and you have to work, keep working towards that goal. A lot of it's putting in practice and, you know, being able and will, willing and able to put in the time and effort to, you know, achieve your goals as a basketball yeah. player. Yeah. I mean, just cause you don't make it like playing professional, that doesn't mean that you can't land a job somewhere else. Right. Uh, with basketball, because I know people that are like on college coaching staffs. I know some people that are on NBA coaching staffs, like uh, player development with uh, NBA players. And to me, like if I could have that job, I probably I, I trade that job over a European career any day, like that, because that's my goal, just to be in an NBA atmosphere. I think that's right. every every kid's goal at the end of the day, like be in an NBA environment. So, like I said, some some just, good can definitely come out of being an athlete. Right. I mean, it's just important to know there's something for everyone. You just got to work towards it. Exactly. Well, Tyreek, I really appreciate you coming on to this podcast. Again, this is episode four. Stay tuned for more. Thank you for coming on, Tyreek. You were great. Appreciate you for having me, man. Awesome. I'll see you. Mm-hmm.